What's going on, everyone? And welcome in to Plazalt's podcast, filled to the brim with glitchy analysis and freezing cold takes so cold that they're boiling hot. Today's episode is proudly sponsored by Hungry Howie's Baton Rouge. Guys, check out their website for takeout deals and delivery deals. Right now, they've got an awesome special. Get a large one-topping pizza for just $7.99. Thank you again so much to Hungry Howie's Baton Rouge. And for those of you who do not know, we are on video today. It is our first video podcast. If you're listening to us on Spotify, make sure to check us out on YouTube. Guys, hit that follow button, hit that like button, hit that subscribe button, and be sure to leave some comments below. We do Q&As on Fridays, and I'd love to answer some of your questions. But today's episode, we are talking about everything that went on over the weekend. UFC fights, college basketball, getting ready for March Madness, as well as NBA games, MVP races, important free agent signings in the NFL, the Combine, etc., etc. First up, we've got the John Jones fight. And oh my goodness, was it a night. You had Valentina Shevchenko. She lost to Alexa Grasso right before the John Jones fight. Absolute upset. It was described as Alexa Grasso shocking the world. She was a plus 700 underdog. That's absolutely insane. And then right after that, you had John Jones asserting his dominance in a new division coming off of three years absent from the UFC. He defeated Cyril Gaon in the first round by submission. Literally, the fight went like this. Cyril Gaon kicked John Jones in the groin, and then immediately after, John Jones wrestled him to the ground, got him in a chokehold, and Cyril Gaon submitted within like 15 seconds. Absolutely insane. Let's go ahead and talk about this, though. John Jones... Not talking about his off-the-cage stuff, out-of-the-cage stuff. He is the GOAT of the UFC. It's not up for dispute. The man literally does not have an actual loss. He has a disqualification, and then he has a reneged loss. I think it was moved into a no contest, but either way, I've never seen the man lose. He has the most title defenses in UFC history, the most title wins in UFC history. He has 15 title wins. And now he is literally the champion of the light heavyweight division and the heavyweight division. Both extremely hard to dominate. Not to mention, I saw that he has beaten seven current or future Hall of Fame UFC fighters. Absolute insanity. Congratulations to John Jones. Now, he would be the Tom Brady or the Michael Jordan of the UFC, but he has so many out-of-the-cage issues that... We just look at him as a fighter and not really as like a person outside of the ring. So, like I said, congrats to John Jones. But moving on, we're going to get into some NBA stuff. First, going to talk about Joel Embiid and the Philadelphia 76ers. Look, they're not having the best season by any means. Like the Bucks and the Celtics have had better years. But Joel Embiid, when he goes up against an MVP candidate, he shows up. The 76ers got a massive win in Milwaukee against Giannis on Saturday. They beat him 133 to 130, and Embiid had 31, 10, and 5. He did the same thing against Jokic. He did the same thing against Luka. Now, he didn't win against Luka, but he did absolutely dominate. And that is why I think Embiid has moved up to my favorite in terms of the MVP race. He's not going to win it, I don't think. But personally, he's my MVP. But what I appreciate so much about Embiid is that he's not backing down from the challenge of fighting against the Bucks or the Celtics, and that's why the Eastern Conference is wide open. As a matter of fact, the Western Conference is wide open, but not if this next guy has anything to say about it. Kevin Durant came back 
to the Phoenix Suns three games ago, and since then, they're 3-0. And they absolutely dominated in their first two games. And then they got a huge win in Dallas this past Sunday. Luka had a wonderful game against the Suns, but Kevin Durant came out and shot 12-17 of and had 37 points. The Mavericks ended up falling short against the Suns, 130-126. to I really do think that the Suns are the favorites, odds-on, of course, of the Western Conference. But I think it's all going to depend on whether or not Chris Paul is capable of having a good playoff stretch. Now, we've seen him fall short in the playoffs. We've seen him get injured in the playoffs. It always happens when you get more physical. But Chris Paul, he's got to be that third star. I don't know if DeAndre Ayton is there yet to kind of keep the load off of Chris Paul's shoulders, but Chris Paul has definitely got to be a distributor. He did that on Sunday, but can he do it in a seven-game series in the first round, the second round, the third round, and then the finals? That's going to be determined later. Right now, I think he can, but it's not a guarantee. And that's why this next team that I'm going to talk about is so unbelievably important. And that's the Golden State Warriors. Now, I said this, I think, two or three episodes ago. The last place that you want to be in the playoffs is in San Francisco. And guess who's back? Stephen Curry. Now, the Warriors did fall short against the Lakers on Sunday. They lost 105-113. to But Curry had to shake off all of the rust from missing almost a month of playing time. Look, he came in the game. He had about eight points through the first three quarters. But the fourth quarter, he scored 19. And he was on fire. He almost brought the Warriors back to win the game. Fell a little short. But guess who the Warriors didn't have? Andrew Wiggins. And who is he? Probably their best perimeter defender. Probably their second or third best mid-range shooter. And definitely a good finisher. Not to mention, he's better than Dante DiVincenzo, who they need off the bench. Now, I think this Warriors team is going to really contest the Western Conference this year. I told you guys, you got to watch out for this Warriors team when they come back and they're healthy. Not to mention, they've got Gary Payton, who they traded for about a month ago. He's going to be coming back for the playoffs. So you've got Curry, Thompson, Looney, Wiggins, and Green in the starting lineup statistically the best starting lineup in the league. And then you've got Gary Payton, Dante DiVincenzo, and others off the bench. That's a really full team. I do like this Warriors team to get to at least the Western Conference Finals, and they're probably going to run into the Phoenix Suns somewhere along the way, and it's going to be a really, really good series. But I'll tell you who we're not worried about, and that's the Los Angeles Clippers. They are 1-5 in five in their last six games. Last night, they did beat the Grizzlies, but they gave up a 51-point quarter, and they had to come back from, I think, 91 to 111, maybe? Either way, terrible look for this Clippers team. All the blame is being put on Russell Westbrook. Now, I do think, you know, obviously he has some of the blame, but the main part of the blame needs to go on Kawhi and Paul George. And it's not for the reasons you think. I'm not calling them out as human beings or players, or I'm not questioning their mentality. It's just the fact that they've been injured so much over the past three years, we haven't gotten to see anything. The Clippers' biggest highlight is the fact that Luka Doncic hit a buzzer beater over them in the bubble in 2020. And that's about it. They don't have any major playoff wins. They don't have any regular season success. And they definitely don't have consistency or chemistry. And that's so clear on the court I do think that this Clippers team can get it together, but guess what they've got to do? 
stay healthy, and that is not something that we've seen from this Clippers team at all. I definitely think that they're a good play-in team, but right now they're nowhere near getting into the playoffs. They've got to get through the play-in. That's a problem when you're paying Kawhi and Paul George hundreds of millions of dollars, and like I said, no playoff success. Now the last team I'm going to talk about is the one, the only, New York Knicks. They have won nine straight games. Why am I talking about them? Have they won nine straight games against nobodies? No. They have beaten the Boston Celtics twice in this stretch. They've also beaten the Miami Heat. And then they've also done what good teams are supposed to do when you play lesser opponents. Dominate. They beat the Nets by 20. They beat the Nets by 20 again. I definitely think the Knicks are getting it together but their one issue is they don't have a lot of depth. Derrick Rose is no longer really playing. I heard that he's looking for a buyout. I don't know if that's true, but we'll have to wait and see. But right now, the only really good bench player that they've got coming off is Josh Hart, who they traded for. Now, of course, in the regular season, that's key. But when it comes to the playoffs, when your starters need a little bit of rest, it's going to be hard to come by with the Knicks because they just don't have the pieces to hold a lead. But I will say this. The first round of the playoffs between the Knicks and the Cavaliers, who are I think are going to play each other in the playoffs, that's going to be a hell of a series. you got Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell versus Jalen Brunson and Emmanuel Quickly. Throw a little R.J. Barrett in there. And then you've got Mobley and Allen versus Mitchell Robinson and Julius Randle. That's a hell of a playoff series. Am I right? Now, look, both of these teams, I don't know if they're finals contenders, but that will be one heck of a series. But now we're going to move into some NFL content. So first up, we've got our NFL Combine. It was an okay weekend. There weren't a lot of stars popping off, but the one guy who did pop off the charts in terms of measurables, Anthony Richardson. Oh, my goodness. He measured at 6'4", 244, I think he ran a sub 4640. I don't even know how to describe that kind of athlete. He's an absolute freak. He also threw some absolute nukes in the passing part of the combine. I think it was very impressive what he did. He showed a lot of his raw talent, but like I said, that talent is raw. His number one pick odds went from plus 10,000 to plus 300. That is an astronomical jump. And I think it's because all these teams are seeing the potential of what he could be. That doesn't mean that he will be, but it's what he could be. Now, speaking of another quarterback that threw in the passing combine, C.J. Stroud. Now, there's one analyst off of NFL Network that I really appreciate and like his comments about players. It's Daniel Jeremiah. He really dives deep and does good work. And he said that C.J. Stroud had the best passing combine that he has seen in a very long time. I think that's really impressive to say, especially when you're talking about seeing guys like Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, etc., etc. in the combine. When Daniel Jeremiah says that, he means it. C.J. Stroud, he's kind of like the question mark in the four quarterbacks. You know, Will Levis, C.J. Stroud, Anthony Richardson, and Bryce Young. But with that passing combine, he could definitely move up in the draft now, he did say he don't, doesn't want to go to the Bears, and I appreciate that because Justin Fields is his former teammate. But other than that, I've heard that he has had some great interviews. I think he is the wild card in this quarterback draft 
But let's go ahead and move on to quarterback drafting. Okay, Let's talk New York Giants football. Now, the New York Giants GM, Joe Shane, literally said this, this quote. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this real quick because I want you guys to understand what he's saying. He said, you never let a girlfriend stop you from finding a wife. Wisdom. Wisdom. Now, I'm a married man. I found my wife. But the Giants have not. And when I say that, I'm talking about their quarterback. Daniel Jones is technically right now a free agent. Now, the new league year has not began yet. But the Giants are considering franchise tagging him. He asked for $45 million a year. $45 million a year? That is absolute insanity from a guy who's only made the playoffs once and then lost in the playoffs. I don't buy this at all. I think the Giants are looking to move on. At minimum, they're going to franchise tag him, and that's a $42 million payday for him. But they're not giving him that kind of contract extension. And I think that this, from Joe Shane, was a warning to Daniel Jones. You better watch out what you wish for because we will find that guy to replace you. Now, we're moving on to another Giants quarterback. Now, this one is an interesting story. Davis Webb, the backup quarterback for the Giants last year, has been hired as the Denver Broncos quarterback coach. Now, Davis Webb is only 28 years old, but I want to mention this as well. This was all according to Adam Schefter on the Pardon My Take podcast uh, from Barstool Sports, but it's extremely interesting content. Apparently, Davis Webb, was offered the quarterback coaching job for the Buffalo Bills last year at the age of 27. What kind of mind does this guy have that he's getting coaching offers at 27? Now he has been hired after just one meeting with Sean Payton and the Denver Broncos on, I think, two Fridays ago. I think that's absolutely insane. I think he's got some kind of brilliant mind. Now, this is my plaisant Freezing cold take, so cold that it's boiling hot. This is just a wild prediction. I think that he's probably going to be a head coach within the next five years. If you have a mind like that and get hired as a quarterback's coach at 28, it's only a matter of time before you become the offensive coordinator, am I right? So give him maybe a a year or two, offensive coordinator job, another year or two. He's getting head coaching offers. That's absolutely incredible. Now, the last piece of NFL news that we're going to talk about today is that the Saints are going to probably sign Derek Carr. A lot of people are crediting this as a good move. I've seen some ESPN commentators and Fox News commentators that say it's kind of an overrated move and that they're not really impressed. I actually think that this is a great move for the Saints. Now, why? It seems like outside of quarterback, the Saints roster is ready to compete for the playoffs. Maybe not a championship, but the playoffs. But this comes with a huge caveat. The rest of the NFC has a lot of question marks. All of the teams that were playoff contenders last year, they're going to be playoff contenders this year. You've got the Philadelphia Eagles. They have so many free agents, I can't even count them on my hands, not to mention they've got to replace their offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, and they just fired their DB coach. That's a lot to do in one offseason. The Packers, is Aaron Rodgers coming back? If not, is Jordan Love ready to like win games? The San Francisco 49ers, you've got another quarterback battle on your hands, this time with Brock Purdy and Trey Lance. Both of those guys are young. Are they able to keep up the success that Jimmy Garoppolo had? I don't know. We obviously saw that flop out in the playoffs last year. The Dallas Cowboys, 
Dak is getting more expensive. They can't afford all the players they need to put around him, etc., etc. Not to mention that this NFC South division is horrible. The Panthers don't have a quarterback right now, except maybe, maybe Sam Darnold. The Falcons look like they're going to be riding with Desmond Ritter again. And the Tampa Bay Buccaneers just lost Tom Brady. If this Saints team can get it together in the regular season and complete in the playoffs and win the division, hey, they might have like a first-round bye because they've got such an easy schedule. They didn't finish great last year. They either finished third or fourth in the conference. It's very possible that they have the capabilities to compete and have lightning in a bottle for this one season. I'm buying the Saints this upcoming year. I think that the Derek Carr signing is much greater than anybody else could have thought. Moving on now to some college basketball. It's March Madness time. I'm going to give you four teams that you've got to buy in on. These are the sleepers of the tournament, and I'm going to give you four teams to sleep on. Okay, I want you to get a good night's rest. These four teams, you can sleep right on top of them. They're not going to get that far in the tournament. Let's go down the list first of the teams that should not be slept on. Number one, Memphis. Now, look, they've had to play Houston twice. That's two of their five losses. They have an incredibly easy schedule outside of that, and they've taken care of business outside of Houston. And they played Houston extremely well. Now, for those of you who don't know, Houston is the number one team in the country. Memphis also ranks pretty well in the Ken Palm rankings. For those of you who don't know, once again, Ken Palm is like the creme de la creme when it comes to determining who can go deep in the tournament. When you rank inside the top 40 in efficiency on both offense and defense, then you're looking pretty good. And Memphis does just that. They don't have any bad losses that I can think of. I'm buying this Memphis team. But next up is Pittsburgh. They are 3-3 three and three versus top 25 teams. They have an awesome win against Virginia. They are top 40 in Ken Palm. I'm a big buyer of Pittsburgh, and the next team is Iowa State. This is probably the team that I have bought in the most on. They are the spoilers of spoilers. I absolutely love this Iowa State team. They are 8-4 and four in AP Top 25, and they're 22 in Kim Palm. That's very impressive for a team that's not even ranked right now. Next up, Creighton. Now, like Iowa State, they played in the toughest conference in the league. They played in the Big East. That's just my opinion, but Creighton did very well against other Big East opponents like Marquette, who's in the top 10. Creighton currently ranks top 15 in Kempom, and they've got an insane defense. When it comes to the tournament, defense is where it's at because there's a lot of teams who get to that tournament and their shots just aren't falling, and they've got to rely on getting some defensive stops. Creighton is that team. Now, last but not least, Mark my words, this is the Cinderella of the tournament, Utah State. Now, they have an absolutely nuts offense. They shoot 40% from the three and almost 50% from the floor. They've got almost the top five in efficiency and offense. I think they're going to get to the tournament and shoot lights out. I'm projecting them probably like a, a 12 or a 13 seed. They had a great record in their conference. I'm buying Utah State. That's the Cinderella team this year. Last but not least, let's talk about the teams that we're sleeping on. Okay, First up, Tennessee. Now, they have a few bad losses, but that's not the main point. Sakai Ziegler, who is their main distributor, tours ACL. 
And what do you need when you get into the tournament? A good veteran point guard to command the offense. And now they're lacking that exactly. I don't think they're going to perform well in the SEC tournament. And that's going to also reflect in the NCAA tournament. I think they're right now uh, a four or five seed. Don't buy into them. I don't buy it whatsoever. I think Tennessee is probably the fraudulent team from the SEC. Next up, though, is Gonzaga. Now, Gonzaga has made the NCAA tournament 23 consecutive times. They have two Final Four appearances and only five Elite Eight appearances. This Gonzaga team falls short every year because of their lack of competition in the WCC. Guess who finally is good in the WCC and they lost to? They lost to St. Mary's. I don't know if this Gonzaga team, once again, is ready to go. They've got some veterans. I don't buy it. I think they lose again in the Sweet 16. Next up, we've got Virginia, who started off the season scorching hot, but had two really, really ugly losses at the end of the year. You can't do that when you've got to secure a better seed. Right now, I think they're a four or five seed. This is another team that I'm putting on upset alert in the first round of the tournament. They've got decent shooters, but they lack a lot of size, in my opinion. Last but not least, speaking of ACC, we've got Miami. Now, Miami has had a pretty good end-of-the-year year, but they have some just absolutely fluke losses. They lost to Florida State, who is one of the worst teams in the conference, and right now they're ranking 37 in Ken Palm on offense and defense. It's not a great team in terms of Ken Palm ratings. I don't buy this Miami team. I really don't think that they've got the offensive efficiency to keep up with somebody like a Creighton or a Utah State. Playing a shooting team when you're not a shooting team yourself can run into some trouble. Now that, ladies and gentlemen, is going to be the end of this episode of Plaisance Podcast. Be sure to hit that follow button, that subscribe button. Thank you all so much for tuning in, and we'll see you next time.